Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. In every pair of Tecovis boots, you can expect handmade quality, first wear comfort, and timeless Western style. A great pair of Western boots will elevate a casual look or add a refined flair that will draw both eyes and compliments. Tecovis boots are always made from premium bovine and exotic leathers, and with occasional resoling, they will last a lifetime. The best way to shop for boots is at your local Tecovis store, where you'll be greeted by the smell of fresh leather and a friendly smile. Come on in, grab a cold one, get fitted by a pro, and shop the latest styles. We also offer custom branding and leather stamping if you want to personalize your boots or fine leather goods. As spring makes its way into summer, stay cool in a short sleeve moisture-wicking pearl snap or make your own shade with one of their classic straw hats, new in both men's and women's styles. And if you're planning to hit the road, Tecovis's ever-growing lineup of rugged and full-grain leather bags will get you where you're headed in style and are built to last decades. Visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And don't go gently, y'all. In every pair of Tecovis boots, you can expect handmade quality, first wear comfort, and timeless Western style. Tecovis boots are always made from premium bovine and exotic leathers, and with occasional resoling, they will last a lifetime. The best way to shop for boots is at your local Tecovis store, where you'll be greeted by the smell of fresh leather and a friendly smile. Come on in, grab a cold one, get fitted by a pro, and shop the latest styles. Visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S dot com. And don't go gently, y'all. Then I realized that to be more alive, I had to be less afraid. So I did it. I lost my fear and gained my whole life. Yeah, yeah, there was a lot of, in the at the starting line, it, there was a lot of, am I gonna survive this? Legit feelings of what am I doing? This is this could be really serious. But that's what you train for and all that. And then of course you're gonna have some doubts, but just the first 38 miles is 10,000 feet of climbing and super exposed. And you don't have a lot of aid stations in that section. So you have to pack all your own water and so it's rough, and then it just after that's over, you just did the hard part. The rest is just a cruise, which sounds weird, but it is. You just it's an, the whole time you just like got to get to the next aid station and eat as much as I can. Got to get to the next one, eat as much as I can. Okay, I'm gonna sleep under this tree now. <laughs> I'm Doc, and this is Hiker Trash Radio. Hey, is this thing on? Hello. Hit it again. 
I think it's on now. <clears throat> Welcome to Hiker Trash Radio, where each week, Doc will drag some colorful characters out of the woods to talk trail and type 2 fun. If you're aspiring hiker trash, or if you're just looking to understand the hiker trash in your life, look no further. So lace up those boots, gnaw on some jerky, and settle into your 20-mile pace as we fire up the podcast from somewhere deep in the backcountry. It's time to embrace the suck. Hey there, hikers. Ever conquered a peak only to find your feet a battlefield of blisters and hotspots? It's enough to make you want to pack it in and head home. But what if there was a way to hike harder, longer, and with more comfort? Introducing Creepers Merino Toe Socks. Made with ultra-soft merino wool and seamless construction, these socks are designed to minimize blisters and hotspots, even on the most demanding trails. Imagine this. You're miles into your hike, the sun is shining, and your feet feel light and airy. You're not worried about blisters or hotspots, just the beauty of the wilderness surrounding you. That's the power of Creepers Socks. Don't let blisters hold you back from your next adventure. Get your hands on a pair of Creepers Merino Toe Socks today and experience the difference. Visit the website by following the link in the show notes to get 10% off your order. Make sure to use the discount code HTRADIO to let them know Doc sent you. Welcome back to another week on the trail. Dirtbags, hiker trash, and of course, good smelling day hikers. I'm Doc, and this is Hiker Trash Radio. Hey, if you like what we're doing, help us out. Take just a minute, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you don't like what we're doing, well... Just go ahead and keep that to yourself. All right, let's get to this week's guest, ultra runner and run streaker, Roy Quinn. Welcome to Hiker Trash Radio, Roy. How's it going? Hey, doing well. Thanks. And I feel like I should clarify run streaker. That could be interpreted a couple of different ways, right? Sure. And what we mean in this case is you have put together a pretty impressive run streak, consecutive days of doing some running out there. And we're going to get to that in a little bit, but I didn't want people to think that you're just running out there on your birthday suit. So I haven't got there yet. Won't rule it out. Okay. All right. Hey, in, in the American long trail hiking um, pastime, it's customary to give out trail names to people on the trail based on maybe where they're from, something funny or unusual that happens on the trail, or maybe some kind of weird personality quirk. Does the same thing exist in the American running society have you picked up a trail name i have not and something i'm a little jealous of i think i need to do a little more actual hiking and less running on the trails to pick one up something epic in that sense but yeah it's always been something i've aspired to obtain just haven't yet yeah i know if you want to pick up a trail name you need to be with other people on the trail and i guess if you're a trail runner maybe you're not around people a whole lot because you're just blowing right by them or vice versa. Yeah. You, you, when you do see people, it's, it's sometimes you share a lot of miles with someone, but um, you don't really name each other either. So. Okay. So we typically go by trail names. Since you don't have one, we'll go by just Roy tonight. And maybe, maybe we'll come up with a trail name during the episode. Who knows? We'll see. All right. Okay. Have you had a chance to listen to the podcast before, Roy? I have. I, I confess I wasn't familiar for very long, but I, I've listened to, and now I'm going to forget his name, but uh, his hiker name or trail name is Desert Jesus. I listened yes. to that one uh, most recently. It was, it was good. That was a good one to listen to. That guy is crazy. That's just incredible what he did out there. Yeah. Yeah. And 
crazy is I'm sure applies in the hiking world too, but a term of endearment. Absolutely. Absolutely. I use that in the best possible way. Absolutely. That's right. Now we, we were connected by a mutual friend, one of my former guests, Brett Gravelin, who, whom you went to high school with. Yeah. Yeah. He was one of the cool surfer kids and I was like, a, I don't know, the, the one cure fan in the high school I was wearing black it was different times I was a cross-country runner and stuff but um we didn't really we knew of each other in high school and kind of connected on a different level afterwards like through Facebook this I have a guy. feeling he I have a feeling he's still the cool surfer dude yeah I think so it looks like it I think he lives on the coast and yeah yeah did you happen to go back and listen to his episode I know it was probably a little bit further back in the archive I think maybe it was season two learned. had him on. Yeah. Okay. I just learned he was on. So I'm going to have to go pick it out now for sure. Yeah. It was one of my best interviews early on. I was still figuring stuff out season one, season two. Big shout out to all the listeners out there who have been with me for all seven seasons. But in those early days, it was a little rough sometimes. But Brett, Brett's interview was just fantastic. He was a, a great person to have on. He really told the story and uh, was very intriguing. And for those of you who don't know who Brett Gravelin is or what his connection to the outdoor adventure world is, he is a an adventure racer, among other things. And he was a participant on Team Curl in world's the world's most toughest race, or the world's toughest race on Amazon. It was a, it was a uh, one-season series, and it was all about the eco-challenge in Fiji. And it is quite a story that he told. Yeah, it's a good watch, too. I was hooked on that. Yes. Agreed. Agreed. I want to make sure that you are aware that we do have a segment towards the end of each episode called the hiking hack, where I'm going to turn to you. And even though you're not a full-blown hiker, I'm going to ask you to share some wisdom with our listeners to make their next outdoor experience better. So if it's not from the hiking world, you can certainly pull from the running world or the trail running world to let them have a better experience out there. Sounds good. I'm not the world's fastest ultra runner, so I do a lot of hiking. So Hopefully, I'll have something worthwhile to share there. Fantastic. Hey, let's get to our very first segment. Trailblazers Toolkit. That's right. It's time for the Trailblazers Toolkit, sponsored by the Ultralight Backpacking Gear Company, Six Moon Designs. I love to talk about gear on the podcast, and I love to hear about the most important item in my guest adventure gear. So, Roy, if you're preparing for your next adventure, maybe it's a 100-miler, maybe it's a just a marathon, and I was the one providing you with all your gear. What is the one specific piece of gear you would insist on being packed? Give me all the details on that piece of gear. Tell me why you've got to have it out there. And this could be any kind of item. It could be gear. It could be apparel. It could be a luxury item. So Roy, what is that item in your toolkit? Gosh, I think these days I'd have to say a hat. I, I never used to run with a hat. The hair is thinning out up there and the sun is unforgiving. So it's got to be a good running hat. And what sets apart for our listeners who maybe don't know what the difference between a running hat and maybe a trucker's hat? I mean, what is the what are good qualities of a running hat? Washable, unless you're one of those guys that just loves to show all the salt stains and you don't care about the smell. But you know, you're not going to be very popular if you're one of those people out on the out in the crowd. All right, very good. Now let's get to our next segment. It's the hiking pole. The hiking pole, and that's pole spelled with two L's, like a survey, not like the things you carry out there in your hands out on the trail. As an ultra runner, do you use hiking poles out there? 
Sometimes, yeah, depending on the distance. Yeah. And so this is a seven-question survey that's going to help me give you a score on the sanity scale from one to 100, with one being completely insane, 100 being completely sane. Now, anybody who has done a 100-mile race before, there's an automatic 25-point deduction. So I'm afraid that your top score tonight is 75, Roy. All right. Let's see what we got. Okay. Now, I do have three different sets of questions that I pull from. Two of them are very related to hiking. I'll have to do with hiking. And the third I keep just in case because I I may be talking to some non-hikers out there. And the third set of questions has to do with the big issues facing our world today. In fact, we could probably use one of these questions to devote an entire episode to. So I want to ask you what your comfort level is. Do you want to go with one of the hiking sets of questions or do you want to go with the big issues questions? Oh, man. Probably hiking because I'm, I'm not very good at keeping up on current events. It might be embarrassing to admit, but I try to keep my head out of that stuff. You know what? I'm going to push you out of your comfort zone. We're going to go with the third set of questions. They're not uh, political in any way whatsoever or world events related, but these are big issues that we all wrestle with on a daily basis. All right. Now, this is not rapid fire. I don't want you to just give me your answer and then wait for the next question. I want you to give me your answer and then I want some explanation behind it because that will help me with my scoring. Okay. Okay. You ready for this? I think so. Nervous? Is it weird that I want to score low? (laughs) It is not weird that you want to score low. In fact, it's a kind of a badge of honor. Yeah, that's right. Okay, so here we go. I've, I've had guests take their scores of 17 or, or 24 and you know, get it embroidered on a hat and wear it to their next race. All right. Question number one, one of the big ones. Start out with a hard one. Does pineapple belong on pizza? Yes. Okay, elaboration. I'm one of my hobbies outside of running and, and outdoors is sourdough baking. And so I've been the pretty I've been a pretty avid pizza maker and pineapple just tastes good on pizza. Sorry, but if Gordon Ramsay can change his mind on it, then other people can too. All right. Now I, have, I do have some follow-up questions that will, that will happen occasionally that don't count towards the seven questions. These are just corollary questions because I'm nosy. All right. If pineapple is okay on pizza, where do we draw the line with fruit on pizza? How about grapefruit or oranges? Is there a, is there you a know, line that can't be crossed? It's gotta it's gotta be that that sweet that pairs with savory. If you're having like a dinner, if it's a dessert pizza, sky's the limit. If it's not tomato sauce on there that you're mixing with the grapefruit, I'm sure you could come up with something. Okay. And you, you mentioned that you are, you've got involved in sourdough making. Where did that pastime come from? How'd you get involved with that? It's, I started brewing beer first and that kind of opened the floodgates of fermentation for me. It was like, what else can I do? And I started making sauerkraut and kombucha. And then I started brewing beer takes a long time like you're sitting there for six hours or whatever on day one of putting all the ingredients together and and getting it ready to ferment and then you've got to let it sit for two weeks and then you've got to keg it or bottle it so it's waiting for the that end result takes quite a while so finding some of these other things that were quicker turnarounds like sourdough you can be you can have a loaf of bread in three days and it's going to taste good or pizza in a day um, so it, just, it opened my eyes to that world and I've 
obsessed with fermentation. Obsessed with fermentation. There's got to be a trail name in there somewhere. Let me think about it for a little bit. All right. (laughs) Now, in terms of brewing beer, do you have a a particular favorite style of beer you like to brew? Oh, man. So, and it's been a little bit like like COVID slowed me down a lot with that kind of stuff. But I was always trying to to explore different styles and, and push out. But pale ale was like the first one that I really perfected. I brew with a buddy all the time and we just were tweaking the recipe until we were happy. And so I think we went through seven variations of that recipe before we finally nailed it. I'm like, all right, this is it. All right. On to question number two of the hiking poll. Do you roll your toilet paper over or under? Over. And I don't really, <laughs> this is getting into the, the talk that, runners and hikers it's safe amongst each other with but i don't really use toilet paper i'm more of a wipes guy but we always have toilet paper and i like to, to fold it into that little hotel triangle just to be fancy so that, that's that is that is the reason for preferring the over so you can do the the hotel triangle fold that's right that is interesting okay that gives me a little insight into my my scoring here thank you all right. Question number three, cats or dogs? Okay. That's a good one too. I grew up with Rottweilers, was always a dog guy. And I've had a cat for about three years and he's totally won me over. Um, in fact, if he starts meowing in the background because he wants in, I apologize in advance, but I'm totally a cat dad now. Like just all in. That could be a trail name, Cat Daddy. now dogs dogs are very needy right they want generally they you have dogs they want your affection they want to be petted they want to be you know paid attention to cats are take it or leave it with you you know they're very independent yeah he definitely likes his time on my lap in in the evening or whatever but he also says get me outside i gotta go murder some things and he's a pretty avid hunter Every day he's finding something to kill and eat. And we found him on, on the streets, basically. He was a, a feral with a clipped ear, which they do when they process him through the shelters. And he's right at home here, like where I live. There's a lot of rodents and squirrels, and he's gotten a bunny before. <laughs> he's, a, he's pretty capable. But yeah, if I had a dog, it would be a running dog. And... I think eventually I would want to probably go for a run by myself and then I'd feel guilty because the dog's going to know I'm leaving without him and he knows what I'm doing out there. So cat's like, whatever, I'll see you when I see you. That's right. Very few running cats out there. Yep. Yeah. All right. Question number four. Do you use the Oxford comma? very rarely and when i do it's probably not correct (laughs) probably by accident huh yeah (laughs) typo all right question number five let's see here is a hot dog a sandwich no it's a hot dog and so hot dog is a different class altogether than a sandwich? Yeah, I think the bun is the differentiator there. If you slice up a hot dog and put it on two slices of bread, we could talk about this, but throwing in that bun, I think that makes it a hot dog. Okay, is a hamburger a sandwich? 
Hey, you got me. Okay. I don't know. Yeah, I think it is still because, man, this could go really deep, but I think, I think the hamburger is a sandwich because I think when it first originated, if I'm right in my history, it wasn't even on bread. And then they ran out of what they were putting it on. So they put it between two slices of bread, I think at the World's Fair, if I'm right there, I remember hearing about this and that's what, how it was born. And or maybe it was, it was because it was too hot to hold something like that. And they, they started putting it in between two slices of bread. And then the, I think the bun came later. So couldn't tell you the history of the hot dog. Was. When I got up this morning, I had no idea I'd be talking about hamburger history with somebody. <laughs> Me either. <laughs> now, does about pineapple on hamburger. Is that all right? Yeah, yeah. Like a Hawaiian burger. Yeah. I haven't had one in a long time, but I know they exist. Pineapple on a hot dog? I, I'd try it, especially probably <laughs> 30 miles into a, an ultra or something. All right. Let's get on to, uh, let's get back to the bowl here. Question number six. Let me see. Let me pick a good one here. Netflix or YouTube? YouTube. Really? Yeah, that's all I watch when I watch things. I don't know if it's is the waning attention span of, of our age or if it's just there's always something interesting that you'll find. And it seems like when I want to watch something on Netflix, I'm looking around for an hour and then I give up. And unless someone recommends something, then I, I go straight to it. Okay. And question number seven, our last question in the hiking pool, what is your most useful skill in case of a zombie apocalypse? Okay. I have a muscle car, so it could be running errands, although I'd have to get a new battery and get that thing going. Other than that, it's probably my bread baking and beer making that I could I could trade for other essentials with, with other survivors. Okay. So like in a post-apocalyptic world, you can you have something to barter with. Right. Nice. Nice. Now you said you had a muscle car. What kind of car do you have? It's a 69 Impala. Nice. Nice. All right. Hey, stand back. Wait just for a second here. This is the math portion of the podcast where I tally up your scores. I've got to use all 20 digits here to do the math. I've got to uh, carry the three and divide by pi to uh, multiply by root five. And I come up with a score of 47. All right. All right. Just so south was, just south of the midpoint. Okay. I'm okay with that. I, when you said you had to use all 20 digits, so I was like, oh, man. <laughs> well, it's just because I was an English teacher. I was not a math guy. So it really gets down to its rudimentary fundamentals here. All right. Hey, before we get too far down the trail, Roy, let's back up a little bit. Tell us about where you grew up, what kinds of sports and hobbies you played as a kid, other than the goth cross-country runner, (laughs) if there's anything else in there. And how did you get involved in the running cult? Yes, I started, like my, I was pushed into baseball one year. It was like the first year that all the kids were playing against an actual pitcher instead of hitting the ball on the tee. And I don't think I ever hit the ball the whole time. And I was a little taller than the other kids. So they would always just walk me. And <laughs> that's the only time I ever scored points. 
it wasn't really my thing. Then I got into soccer and played soccer all the way up until my freshman year of high school. And I was only good at soccer because I was fast running back and forth across the field and I could kick the ball out of the way. So they had me in defense all the time. And then freshman year of high school, it got a little political. I wasn't that good, like I was saying. And so I was on the sidelines a lot and I just decided to go into regular PE. Then my PE teacher during the mile was like, what the heck are you doing here? You should be in track and cross country. And I was like, what's that? And so then I got into track and cross country and found my people and I was pretty good at it. I was on the varsity team my first year in, in high school. So I was accepted amongst the seniors and that was, that was important. Yeah. And then did a little bit of fencing out of high school. And that was after I stopped running for quite a while, gained some weight. And so I was like, I need something to keep me in shape to be a better fencer and I started running again and rest is history. You ran to become a better fencer. Yeah, just to, to be in, in better shape for it. My, my coach was, he's an amazing person. He was a skeptic in a way. Like he, he would bring in these new students to, to a session and like, oh, none of them are going to practice. So they're not going to do what I tell them when they're not here. They just want to have fun and sword fight. And so I was like, I'm going to prove them wrong. I'm going to practice. I'm going to get in shape. And so it's got me back into running. And then I hurt my knee really bad in a fencing competition and thought my career was done. And then a bit later on in life, after not running again for a few years, I had a friend who was joining the Sheriff's Academy and he needed to run like an eight minute mile or something like that. And he asked me for help. And I was like, oh, I don't know. I don't think I can run anymore. And that's where I am now. From that point on, I, I started running with him. He went off to the academy. One day I forgot to wear my knee brace and never looked back and signed up for a half marathon. And now I'm just completely out of control. Out of control. And remember that whole zombie zombie apocalypse question? You have a fencing background. That didn't occur to you? Yeah, that probably should have. I, I guess I was thinking I don't want to get that close to him. <laughs> but yeah, if, if I had a sword on hand, I'd, I'd know what to do with it. Now, did you grow up in California? Yes. Yeah. I was born in Garden Grove. Spent like my first four years of life, almost right across the street from Disneyland. My sisters got to go all the time. I never did. Then we moved out to Arizona and to Sedona. And it was like a retirement community back then. And my parents were like, we got to get the boys out of here because they're not going to get into any, they're just going to get into trouble out here. And so moved us back closer to the beach and been out here in Southern California ever since. Okay. Now, you said sisters, and you also said boys. How many siblings are there? I got two older sisters and one brother. Okay. And are any of them fanatical runners as well? Nope. My my brother is a firefighter, and so when he's not like on a call, like they get paid to exercise and whatnot. So he can go out and, and he can keep up with me for 10K, no, no issue, unless we're racing or something. But he can go out and, and we can talk and run for six miles. And I hate him for it. But no one's got the, the endurance bug like I do. Okay. Hey, we're going to put a pin in it right there. We're going to take just a minute here. We're going to pay some bills, hear from some advertisers. And when we come back, we're going to talk about this whole concept of the run streak and what you've been up to for the last 
what, six plus years. So uh-huh. listeners, stay tuned for that. We'll be right back. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. We are stoked to partner with Garage Grown Gear on this episode of Hiker Trash Radio. Garage Grown Gear, or GGG for short, is your online store for all things ultralight backpacking. Dedicated to supporting the growth of small and cottage brands, they've got everything you need all in one place. From ultralight accessories to dehydrated meals to your big three, Garage Grown Gear has everything you need to lighten your load. Based out of St. Paul, Minnesota, GGG is known for its commitment to providing quality ultralight gear, stellar customer service, and free shipping and returns over $40. Boat Trader is America's largest boating marketplace with over 100,000 boats to choose from. We offer simple, comprehensive solutions for those looking to sell, find, and finance new or used boats. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started. Hey there, Hiker Trash. Have you been on the trail for too long, battling the elements and just focusing on surviving? Well, it's time to take a break from all that ruggedness and talk about something that may not be on your radar, personal grooming. Now, I know what you're thinking. Doc, why should I care about grooming out here in the wild? And I hear you, my trail-worn friend, but let me tell you, there are some serious benefits to keeping your personal jungle in check. Enter Manscaped's Lawnmower 5.0, the ultimate grooming tool for the modern hiker. This bad boy is designed with the rugged adventurer in mind. It features skin-safe technology, so you can tame the wilderness without any fear of nicks or cuts. With its precision-engineered blades, the Lawnmower effortlessly trims and shapes your hair with ease. No more tangled or unruly bushes down there, hiker trash. You'll feel fresh and comfortable even after those long days on the trail. And let's not forget about the hygiene aspect. Keeping your nether regions clean and groomed can help prevent unwanted odors and irritation. It's like a breath of fresh mountain air for your most sensitive areas. So my trail warriors, don't neglect your personal grooming even when you're out there conquering the wild. Embrace Manscaped's Lawnmower 5.0 and experience the benefits of a well-groomed jungle. Your hiking buddies and your nether regions will thank you. Get 20% off all Manscaped products plus free shipping with promo code HikerTrashRadio at Manscaped.com. Tell them Doc sent you. If you hunt enough, you learn the truth. What you seek speaks a language and knows it well. That's why every Primo's call for everything you hunt is made the right way. We sweat every detail so you get more out of every hunt and nothing leaves our hand until we know it'll work in yours. Because we don't just make the world's best calls, we speak the language. Primo's. Six Moon Designs has been innovating ultralight backpacking gear for the past 20 years. 
with a wide range of products ranging from ultralight shelters to backpacks and accessories like their extensive line of trekking umbrellas, Six Moon Designs is sure to have a great piece of gear for your needs. With the company philosophy being that gear should aid one's experience, not define it, Six Moon Designs thinks the more time people spend outside the natural world, the better off this world will be. And remember, go wild, live young. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. This episode is sponsored by Jolly Gear. Are you tired of compromising between the ventilation of a button-down and the full protection of a sun hoodie? With the Triple Crown button-down, you can have the best of both. Plus, their fun standout patterns will have you the talk of the trail. Visit them at jollygear.com. Thru-hiker owned, Jolly Gear, where fun meets functional. And welcome back. We're talking to Roy Quinn, who does not currently have a trail name, but it could be Cat Daddy. It could be something related to brewing of beer or fermentation. We're going to let that ferment a little bit and see if we come up with something. And we referred to this thing called the streak, the run streak. What qualifies as a run streak? If I get up every day and I run a quarter mile, does that count as a run streak? Is there an official record-keeping organization that keeps track of these kinds of things? And would that qualify? You know, there is, and I, I had no idea when I my introduction to this was purely organic, but there is a Streak Runners International, and I think it's runstreak.com, where they have a record of everyone who's signed up. And to qualify as a run streak, you need to run one mile in a calendar day. So it doesn't actually say it has to be all at once. And for it to be a run streak, it needs to be a year. So if you run 364 days in a row, you're not a run streaker, according to the, the official organization. Okay. Now, have you always loved running? Has it been a passion since those high school days? when you were, you became the, the phenom freshman on the varsity? Yeah, my dad was a sprinter. He was a, a barefoot runner and he always told us stories about running and we would always race, my brother and I, when I say we would always race my dad on the beach and stuff, he'd run backwards and we'd be sprinting all with all we had and he'd beat us. And, and so I always looked at it as something special that he always had stories about how it runs in our family, no pun intended. And yeah, so when I got into track and cross country, I it's when I found like a competitiveness with it. I, I went out for my first run, a road run with the whole team. And, and I'm with one of my friends now who like, don't worry, all these girls are going to pass us and it's fine. They're all fast. And not letting these girls pass me. And, and so I took off and the coaches were like, oh, looks like we've got somebody to keep our eye on when I got back. And so in, in that sense, like the, I found something competitive that was really 
enjoyable for me. I didn't always love it. Your body's kind of, your brain and your body's weird like that. Like you get out and you start exercising and your brain might just be saying, what are you doing? Stop. I need to conserve my energy. Like you're ruining my plans. And so you have to overcome that, those things. And, and I always liked the way I felt after I was done running. But sometimes during it, it was a struggle. I used to have to listen to music to drown out my negative thoughts. And, and so finding a, a way to love it was an organic path for me too. I just started telling people how much I loved it. And then I eventually started believing it. And I swear that works. It's just like you hear about people like when you're suffering, force yourself to smile. And it, it does something to the endorphins in your brain. And all of a sudden you're feeling better and you forget about what was hurting same kind of thing. You, you tell yourself you like something enough, you're going to start liking it. You're going to speak it into existence. Yeah. 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 Now, had you fallen out of love with running and that's why you picked up fencing? Or was there some other reason there? I don't know that I ever really fell out of love with it necessarily. It's just I started a new venture in life. I've had to start working every day, nine to five. And like, new challenges like getting home from a day at work and being tired and not wanting to do anything and so you just sit on the couch and watch tv or play a video game for a while that was my life and then i think i just slowly started gaining weight and then found out i had borderline high cholesterol i was like whoa i've got to change some things around here and so it i became just like so many other people who started doing it to get in shape and lose weight and and I've gone back and forth with that, too. Sometimes the, the balance with the beer intake was out of whack, especially during COVID. Oh, it's a two-week pandemic. I can drink every day. And three years later, I'm like, whoa. The battle of the beer intake. I can commiserate with that. Yeah, I, I, I run to eat and drink. I, I get out there a few times mm-hmm. a week to try and make that balance happen. Uh, successfully or unsuccessfully, I'm not sure. But Now, Roy, how, how tall are you? Six foot. Six foot. And how much do you weigh right now? Just under 180, which is like the lowest I've been in quite a while. Okay. And when you were feeling yourself get heavy, how high did you go? Uh, I think 246 was my heaviest. Yeah. And and I don't show it nicely. I, I just look like a heavy guy. When I show people pictures, they don't believe it's me. All right. Now, have you run, I, I know you've run long distances. I, you've obviously run a marathon. Can you tell us about mm-hmm. working up to your very first marathon? Did you do that in high school or was it after high school? I was well after high school. Gosh, I want to say it was 2018 or so. It was always some kind of a pipe dream goal of mine. It was like, one day I'm going to run a marathon, but I don't know that I ever fully believed that when I was high school age. But then with my buddy who went off to become a sheriff, going off and doing that, and then all of a sudden I I needed to find some goals that would keep me running. I found a half marathon, and then I was like, well, I did the half. I should do a full. And so I did the San Diego Rock and Roll was my first full marathon. I want to say it was 2018. It might have been 2017. Okay. I did the San Diego Rock and Roll in 2021. Nice. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, it's a good one. I've also done that half and there's all those uh, neighbors that come out, I think in North Park that have bars set up and and every single, that was a lot of fun in a different way. (laughs) 
I know exactly the section because it was there in the course when I did it in 2021. Yes. Now, I, I don't know if the course designer was a bit of a sadist, but you know, I think mile 21 through 23 was like straight uphill. Yeah, uh, up the freeway? Yes. The, yeah, who does that? Yeah. Who does that to somebody? <laughs> and uh, where I live, there's a lot of hills. And so I, I do better than a lot of people climbing hills. And I was passing all these guys. I remember distinctly there was this guy that was just ripped and he had his shirt off and he was just suffering. And I was like, hey, come on, we're almost there. Just kind of jouncing up the hill. And he was just like, oh, this sucks. And But yeah, it is a rolling marathon for sure. I had, I'd had a, there's a running cookbook, run fast, eat slow, run fast. And it has a smoothie recipe in it. And I'd had this smoothie as a regular practice going into to the race and I had one the night before and there's raw beets in this smoothie and I had to pee like crazy. There's 30,000 people or whatever. And the lines are crazy. So I was like, I'm not going to be able to, to, to go before I start the race. And I think it was like mile eight or so. I finally found a porter potty that was like one person in line and I get in there and I start peeing red. I was like, oh my God, the marathon's killing me. <laughs> and it was, it was the beats. <laughs> that could have, that was a bit of a scary moment right there. Now, those first eight miles looking for that porta potty, was it uncomfortable? Did you really, you knew you had to go? Uh, it, it was uncomfortable at first, but I think the adrenaline takes over and, and it wasn't in my mind for a while. And then, then I was like, oh yeah, there, I forgot. I got to go. This, mm -hmm. There's a spot. Now, in training for your first marathon, did you follow a prescribed training regimen or did you just wing it? A little bit of both. Hal Higdon's marathon training, I, I downloaded his his rough like, kind of schedule and I tweaked it to fit my schedule and did that. But then I forget exactly how many miles he gets you up to. And, and I felt like that wasn't enough. I needed to go a little further. I think my last long run before the marathon was 23 miles. I knew in my mind I can do a 5K even if I'm just totally dead. But I think it was maybe up to 20 before that. And I was like, oh, man, another 10K when you're already 20 miles in. That sounds awful. So, Yeah, they say that the first 20 miles is the easier half of the marathon. Those last six right. miles yeah. seem like a torture. Yeah. Now, By I know. Point two. Yeah. Now, I know you mentioned that you listened to the episode with Desert Jesus. What did you think about his training regimen leading up to his FKT attempt of doing a marathon a day? Yeah, I, I know someone else who he, he did, I think, 70 marathons in 70 days. And one, it, it'd be, uh, I guess you can make time for it if, if you really want it. But to have that kind of schedule would be awesome where you can just, yeah, I need to go run a marathon every day without running in the middle of the night or way early in the morning. But yeah, that's definitely something I've eyed before. I've done kind of some back-to-back -back things, but I would like to do some kind of challenge like that where you really push your body like that. Now, we didn't talk about what is your day job? What uh, I know we're going to talk about the streak here in a little bit, but I, I want to talk about you know whether or not the streak gets in the way of your, your day job. Interesting. So I... I was in banking forever and uh, like 19 years and I got out of that and I was working at a little startup for a while and this is all pretty recent and I think since 
June, I've been working in an, an insurance agency. So um, auto insurance, life insurance, uh, homeowners, which in California, it's like in the middle of a crisis. So I'm learning all the crazy things. Yeah, I can confirm that's correct. It's a tough, it's a tough market out there right now for insurance yeah. in California. And have you just won the run the one twenty six point two mile marathon? Or have you run multiples? Uh, I've done multiples, so four or five maybe. Okay. Um, before I, I got into trail running, and and now I don't want to run marathons anymore <laughs> on the road anyway. I can see the logical progression of doing a five k and then saying I can do more. I can maybe a ten k and then half and then okay, let's do twenty six point two. Let's see what this is all about. It is a much more difficult concept in my mind to go from 26.2 to a 50K or a 50 miler or a 100 miler. 26.2 is a long distance to drive. I've run four of them. I'm not sure if I'm going to do another one. The last one I did was that San Diego rock and roll in 2021. I did a sub five, which was my goal. I got it. I just got under in by the skin of my teeth, but I got a sub five and I was happy about that. I'm proud about that. But how do you make the jump to go even further? What was the decision maker there? So when I crossed the line at the finish line, my wife is like the type of person, I don't think you should run a marathon. People die doing that and, and just a little overly anxious about those things. And, and I'm this person that's like seeing other people like crossing the line and crying and, and or, or achieving something incredible and they're brought to tears over it. And I'm like jealous. Like I, I want that. And so I crossed the line at my first marathon. And I was like, if I didn't cry. I guess I'm going to have to run an ultra. And uh, she at the time was like, no, absolutely not. Like putting her foot down, you are not doing that. And I think Less than a year later, I was running a 100-miler. I, I jumped into a 50K, and then I was going into a 50-miler next, but uh, that was when there's the uh, fires in like the Santa Barbara area, and it actually burnt down the whole area of where the 50-miler was going to be. And so one of my um, bad influence friends was like, I found this 100K. It's only 12 more miles. Let's go do that. It's on the same day. And so it's it a really slippery slope once I got into the that distance. But my first 50K was a really flat one. It was the Lake Hodges 50K in Escondido. It's super flat as far as, as trail running goes. And I was really nervous. But when I started out, I was running it at like marathon pace. And about eight miles in, I realized I've made a huge mistake and had to just battle and troubleshoot the whole rest of the way to get to the finish. So um, it's a different beast when you compare them. And a lot of ultra runners will tell you this, and even some hikers probably who have done both. Uh, when you're comparing a road marathon to a 50K, I don't know anyone that thinks a road marathon is easier. Really? Okay. You're moving a little slower, unless you're an elite runner and, and you're going after the purse. You're moving a little slower. The aid stations have a whole buffet of, of snacks. You stop and eat a little bit and then continue on. Um, so it's it's a different different beast. Yeah, it makes sense that the, the longer the distance, you, your your tactic is going to change. All right, if you're if you're doing a hundred yard dash, you're going all out for hundred yards, right? You're going full out. Now, of course, as you get longer and longer, you you've got to pace yourself. 
and monitor that. And so if you're going 50K, you don't run the entire 50K, do you? There, there's periods of walking or if you're hiking uphill. Yep. Yeah. I certainly haven't run an entire one all out, but or without stopping a little bit. There are people that do, and they're the ones that are winning. But yeah, it's it's a totally different mindset too. You're out there just, you're not, at least I'm not racing against anyone else unless there's someone really close to me that, I, that I've been battling with the whole time. Other than that, it's more like I'm just trying to beat my own times or push myself further than I have before, things like that. It's, it's, it's a lot more of it when you're out there with other runners too, everyone's saying good job to each other and having little conversations. It's, it's way different than a road race where like, People have their headphones on, they're listening to music, they don't even know you're there. It, it's all around. I just, I've gotten sucked into the trail scene. Nice. Now, you said something a little bit earlier that's, that's intriguing to me, and that is when you cross the finish line of your first marathon, you did not experience the tears. Uh, this overwhelming sense of emotion that just manifests. Do, do you see those tears as maybe an indication of you, you've hit your limit? Are you looking, are you still looking for your, your physical limit of what you can do? Uh, I think I also been accused of not having a soul uh, because I just don't cry at things and, and it's annoying. But um, when I ran Cocodona, uh, I was in Sedona and I was at the aid station and in hindsight now I have a different theory, but at the time I broke down and started crying and this is so hard and, and it was just like a mess. But in, this, in that scenario, I was like, wow, I didn't think this is how it was going to happen. I thought it'd be at the finish line or something, which I didn't cry at the finish line. But looking back on it now, I was severely calor- calorie deficient. And I think I was just experiencing this crazy low because I, I wasn't feeding my body enough. I think, it, I don't know if I can count it or not. Now, Cocodona, that was put on by, that's put on by, is it Aravite Running, which is Jamil Corey's organization? Uh-huh. And that is two two 250 miles, right? It is, yeah. That's insane. Your score just went down. You're no longer 47. You're closer to the, the low 30s at this point. All right, I'll take it. How? So I, I know we talked about tactics changing. How does somebody approach a 250-mile run across Arizona? That was a question I had going into it. Like, how on earth am I going to get through this thing? It was something that I I was drawn to because the whole course, I, I practically the whole course I have some kind of family connection to in some way, like ancestors and just I lived in Sedona when I was little, all kinds of things that were drawing me to run this 200 plus. And I had some friends who were, I would consider them like ultra gurus. And one of them was like, hey, this is a little bit out of my realm, this multi-day stuff. I think you should hire a coach. And I was like, ah, no, I don't need a coach. They're just going to tell me to run a lot. And I'm already going to do that. So the more I thought about it, the, the more I was like, yeah, I probably should. And so I ended up hiring a coach. And it's actually one of the best things I've done for my running. So he got me through it. He won't take any of the credit. He'll just pass it on to me. Like, you did the work. You did this. But um, hiring a coach was one of the most valuable things that I've ever done. And did he just tell you to run further? Yeah, but he also told he, he got me to slow down. I was doing a lot of my runs way too fast, and he got me into the heart rate training, and he helped with some of my fueling and dietary things. So a lot of things I wasn't expecting. 
And so how long does a 250-mile race take? It took me a hundred and almost 116 hours. It's like 115 hours and 45 minutes or something like that. So rough math, that is going on five days. Mm-hmm. Five days. When you when I towed the line at the marathon, at my four marathons, I always thought to myself, this is going to suck. There's going to be some level of pain and desperation involved in today. I can't even imagine what goes through somebody's mind as you tow the line at a race that's going to take five days. Yeah, yeah there was a lot of, in the at the starting line, it, there was a lot of, am I going to survive this? Legit feelings of, what am I doing? This is this could be really serious. But that's what you train for and all that. And then, of course, you're going to have some doubts. But just the first 38 miles is... 10,000 feet of climbing and super exposed and you don't have a lot of aid stations in that section. So you have to pack all your own water. And so it's rough. And then it just, after that's over, you just did the hard part. The rest is just a cruise, which sounds weird, but it is. You just, it's an, the whole time you just like, got to get to the next aid station and eat as much as I can. Got to get to the next one, eat as much as I can. Okay. I'm going to sleep under this tree now. <laughs> That's absolutely bonkers. It's nice to hear you be able to rationalize that, but there is some level of insanity of in the best possible way, of course, of yeah. taking on that kind of challenge. Now, have you found your limit? I don't think so. Not yet. Anyway, I don't know that I want to push further than that distance wise, but I had that was my, my first time ever having a crew. And I think I would like to try something like that without a crew. In fact, I'm going to be um, trying to do 200 miles at an event next May, which will be without a crew. See how that does, because it's a a big morale boost to see a bunch of friends and have everyone waiting on your hand or foot. That's right. Now, let's get to the streak, because we mentioned it a little bit. We talked about the requirements of it. And I think I saw a post today on your social media, maybe like an hour and a half ago or so, about this day... Was it? I'm going to get it wrong. I'm going to to get it wrong. But I did the math when I saw your post and it came out to be more than six years worth of running at least a mile a day. What what, what number are you on right now? Today is 2300. 2300. 2300. That's right. That's right. And I've got your Instagram feed up right now on the screen as well. And I'm looking at, at your runs. You post all your Strava results. Because I've heard that if it, if, if it isn't on Strava, it didn't happen. Is that right? That's right. That's right. And so I'm seeing my distances of six miles, four miles, 10 miles. But I get back a little bit further and you've got, I think I saw one here from uh, not that long ago. It was, I'm scrolling now. Is it 50 miles? Yeah, I did a 50 miler in... September and October. Yes. And so have you heard of Andrew Glaze? Yeah. Yeah. He came on the show. He came on the show. He's currently got a streak. I think it's 200 weeks of doing at least a hundred miles a week. Yeah. Totally different animal. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Different challenge. But I asked him, I said, once you've got a streak like this going, and your streak's even longer, because we're talking more than six years, once you have a streak like this going, 
is there does does the pressure mount to continue to get out there day after day and keep doing this for me like the the whole reason i started a streak was because i would wake up in the morning like i'm gonna go for a run and then i couldn't get out of bed and then three days later i'm finally going for this run and so i just i had just a random week where i i had a run scheduled for every day of the week or something like that or, or almost every day and like i don't think i've ever done that before and so i wonder if i could do 30 days and that was the only thing I ever was really ever trying to do was run 30 days in a row. And, uh, and it was just to help me with my willpower and, and my motivation. And now at this point, it's such a non-negotiable. It's just, yeah, I'm going to go for my run. It's just, it's part of who I am now. It's, I don't even feel pressured. It's just, I know it's going to happen. There's been some times when it's like, I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I'm going to go out and do it. But definitely just it's just part of my life yeah let me ask that question a little bit differently because what you described at first about trying to find motivation and say you're gonna go for a run in the morning and then eventually doing it three days later you just described my life but i know over the course of six years there had to be times of illness there had to be times of injury and i talked to andrew glaze and he talked about where he was i think five miles into the coca donut and he, he uh, tore his hamstring and yet he finished the race. And so there, there were other times where he, he had pulled or, or ripped something, but yet the streak continues. And I think I would say that seems to me that, that you, someone feels the pressure to keep the streak alive. Have there been injuries? Have, have, has there been illness in the, during this streak? Oh, yeah. I've had COVID twice, maybe three times. The first time it was before there were tests, but it was almost all the symptoms. I've had the actual flu, influenza. I've had my most serious injury was almost very serious, but it was a bone marrow edema in my femoral neck. So going into your hip socket, but it was almost a stress fracture. And apparently when that becomes a stress fracture, you need to get a metal rod in there and um, it's pretty, pretty bad. Um, but by the time I had gotten an MRI to find out what was actually going on, I, uh, had started to feel better and I was walking with less of a limp. And so I was going out and, and just doing one easy mile with no shoes on in the dirt. And just the barefoot thought was it will make me run slower. And that was how I recovered and got through it. Yeah, I did the Goggins challenge, if you're familiar with that. I am, um, yeah. And I think I, I ended up with a, I never got it checked, but I think I got a stress fracture in my tibia during that. It's the Goggins challenge, so it's shut up leg. <laughs> you know, you're, you're just stupidly putting that out of your mind instead of paying attention to it, at least I was, because trying to be like a Navy SEAL. Now, any inkling or desire to participate in something like Big's Backyard Ultra or the Barkley Marathons? You familiar with those? I am, and everyone keeps telling me I need to run the Barkley, but those are people that are a little separated from the ultra community. They're runners that I affiliate with, but they've never actually run an ultra or um, know exactly what something like that would take. I'm not good at reading maps and things like that, so I would have a lot to learn to do something like that. I would love to, to 
complete one of those laps at the Barkley. I've never done a uh, backyard ultra, but it would be a lot of fun. I would absolutely sign up for one of those. Yeah. Talk about finding your limits. I think those two, they might help you find your limit. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. What is the next big challenge for Roy? So yeah, I've got uh, Born to Run Ultra Marathons. That's uh, an event that I haven't missed since the first time I, I went to it. Uh, that was my first 100 miler. I've been trying to do every single distance. They have a variety of different distances that they offer there. And so this year I decided I'm going to sign up for the four-day event. And uh, the idea there is whoever runs the furthest in the four days is the winner. But I just want to run 200 miles there in four days. That's my Typically, what is the winner of the four-day event? How far does that person run? I just saw this the other day. I guess the record is like 270 miles. Yeah, it's uh, seeing some of these people out there too. And that event was uh, one of my first trail runs as an adult. It was a 10-mile run. And uh, I saw these people out there. What do you mean that person is doing 100 miles right now? They're walking you can do that or they don't look like a runner like all these things that that you you have these like preconceived um, notions of, of what that 100 miler looks like and it just enabled me to feel like i could go do something like that and the next year there i was that is a great point because i think that i've said on the show many times that the hiking community it accepts everybody right? It, it, the trail is like the equalizer. It doesn't care where you're from, doesn't care what you look like, doesn't care your income bracket. And, and those longer distance races, not everybody can be a sprinter and win the 100 meters, but those longer distance races, it doesn't there, there is not a specific type of, of background or, or body type or person that is necessarily restricted from doing that. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of the amazing things about it. It's a uh, totally accepting of, of whoever wants to go out there and give it a shot. And that's how the community is too, not just the, the terrain. You, you see anyone else out there that's, that's pushing, you're, you're, you're equal to them. Like you said, you're, it's very much an equalizer. You're out there both trying to, to accomplish something that you didn't think you could do or, you know. Yeah, if you are willing to suffer, they'll take you. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> Hey, Roy, you know where we are right now? Oh, the, the, the hack? Hiking Hacks. That's correct. Hiking Hacks. This is where you get to share some outdoor wisdom with our listeners to make their next outdoor experience even better. What, what kind of advice do you have for us? All right. So one of the things I like to do, if you're familiar with those little like ginger turmeric shots, that you can get in the store. There are those in those little plastic containers. I like to, to save a few of those and pour my pickle juice into them and put them in the freezer and take them with me in my pack for long runs or endeavors. Uh, because something about pickle juice, if you start cramping, it just, it sets you straight. And I've been accused of being bougie for doing that. And it just, it didn't stop me. It, it just made me want to do it more. So these shots, they have pickle juice, they have ginger and turmeric? No, so the the containers are like the little ginger turmeric shots that you can buy in the stores. Got it. But I just save the, the little plastic container and, and pour my pickle juice out of the pickle jar into them and toss them in the freezer for whenever I'm ready to go. 
I was going to say that's an interesting combination of flavors, if that was the case. It definitely would be. All right. That is a good hack. That's one we haven't heard before. That, you get bonus points for that one. All right. As long as it doesn't increase my, my sanity score. No, we, we'll, keep that, we'll keep that artificially low. Yes. All right, cool. All right, so there you have it. We're just about done here. Hope our listeners enjoyed our time with Roy. I want to thank him for joining us this week. Roy, how can our listeners keep up with your streak on social media, and where can they find updates on your latest adventures? Yeah, so I post all my Instagram has been my like streak uh, accountability social media. It's uh, Roy Post, which is an old fencing play on words, um, R-O-Y-P-O-S-T-E. And then I also have a really small YouTube channel that I try to upload to. I've been working on my Cocodona footage. It's just really daunting. So I've been, I'm not a natural video editor. So eventually that's going to be out. I was hoping before the end of the year, but it's not looking hopeful now. So, uh, But yeah, that's uh, just Roy Quinn is my YouTube channel. And it's not the like minister. It's the, the guy with the, the running videos. Not the minister, the running guy, the running fanatic. And I forgot to ask, did you, do you do your running typically in the morning first thing, or do you, when you get home from work in the evenings, is there a preferred time for you? Uh, morning, lunch breaks, evening. I, I tend to do more of them in the evenings, I think, but it just depends what I have on the calendar. I'm still working with the coach. Uh, and so if I've got a, like a really long one, I get a little nervous going before I have to be at work in case it goes worse than I thought it was going to. You don't just rip off like a 15, 20 mile run at lunch? And come back and sit next to your colleagues as they look at you funny because you smell? The most I've hammered out is a 10K, and that was pushing it. I was surprised I was able to get back there in time. All right. Hey, remember to check out Hiker Trash Radio on social media as well. We are on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok. And if you have comments or clips you want to share, you can send it to me at hikertrashradio at gmail.com. Off the beaten path. Now, Roy, unfortunately, we can't always be on the trail. And when we're not, we need to find a way to get our adventure fixed. So I'm going to ask you to share some outdoor adventure media with our listeners to help them get by. This could be a book, a movie, documentary. We call this segment Off the Beaten Path, and it's sponsored by the outdoor clothing brand Magnet Designed. Designs, thru-hiker owned and making quality ultralight craft outdoor gear by hand in Bend, Oregon. Designed on trail, built for trail life. Visit magnetdesigns.com with no E in designs. So, Roy... What recommendation do you have for us in the way of adventure media? Man, we mentioned the Barkley. If you're out there listening and you haven't watched those documentaries, there's two of them that are just astounding. Even if you're not a hiker, you're not a runner, you're going you're gonna to not be able to stop watching. So check those out. Yes, time well spent on each of those. I think one is called The Race That Eats Its Young. And the other one is called Where Dreams Go to Die. Gives you some insight into the character of the race. What have we not asked you? And one last segment for you before you go called What Have I Not Asked You That You're Dying to Tell Us About? I know I missed something tonight. What did I miss? Oh, man. Yeah, I, don't, I, I get asked a lot when I'm going to stop or what my goal is and... At this point, my most recent challenge has been purely mental and never thought that was going to be one of my hardest challenges, but I'm still going. And so I think at this point, it's going to be getting hit by a car or a leg, leg break, something like that. It's going to you know, be the only 
can keep moving, I'm going to keep running. Let's not put a car accident or a leg break out there in the universe. We'll hope it doesn't come to that. But uh, maybe at yeah, some point, that's right. Maybe someday in the distant future, you'll have your Forrest Gump moment and you'll say, all right, I've, I think I've run far enough. You never know. All right. Hey, we are finished. I want to thank you for coming on the podcast, Roy. We wish you the very best in your future adventures, and we we'll hope you consider coming back. Uh, maybe at 12 years, you'll come back and tell us how it's going after uh, 12 years of the streak. Any, as we close up today, any shout-outs to friends and family? Yeah. First of all, thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. And uh, yeah, I couldn't do it without my family. They're all watching me, and they're all proud, and they all think I'm crazy, too, in the best way possible. So. Yeah, thank you to them. And let's shout out Brett Gravelin, who brought us together. Yeah, thanks, Brett. Okay. We got to get a run together. <laughs> All right. Thank you for tuning in. Always remember the trail is the trail. It doesn't care if you want to go downhill. It doesn't care if it's almost dark and you're looking for a campsite. It doesn't even care if you're all out of pickle juice shooters. The trail is the trail. Embrace the sock. Hey there, hikers. Ever conquered a peak only to find your feet a battlefield of blisters and hotspots? It's enough to make you want to pack it in and head home. But what if there was a way to hike harder, longer, and with more comfort? Introducing Creepers Merino Toe Socks. Made with ultra soft merino wool and seamless construction, these socks are designed to minimize blisters and hotspots, even on the most demanding trails. Imagine this, you're miles into your hike, the sun is shining, and your feet feel light and airy. You're not worried about blisters or hotspots, just the beauty of the wilderness surrounding you. That's the power of Creeper Socks. Don't let blisters hold you back from your next adventure. Get your hands on a pair of Creeper's Merino Toe Socks today and experience the difference. Visit the website by following the link in the show notes to get 10% off your order. Make sure to use the discount code HTRADIO to let them know Doc sent you. Through the Blackwater bayous and in the dark Louisiana night floats a duck camp, alive with the sounds of swamp pop and the smells of Cajun cooking. From the Mississippi Delta in Venice to the Cajun prairies of the Southwest, me and the Duck Camp Dinners crew will be hunting and eating it all. This is Duck Camp Dinner. Join me, Chef Jean-Paul Bourgeois, and the whole crew every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. Watch Waypoint TV's Great Outdoors Month celebration presented by Battery Tender every Tuesday in June from 7 to 11 p.m. Eastern. Join us for land management tips, family hunts, and conservation-centric films as we show our appreciation for the great outdoors.